0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come this morning. We know that you are the creator God who made everything that by the power of your word you spoke and everything came into being that exists. Lord, in the same way, we need the work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts. God, we're not looking for the words of a man standing up behind a pulpit to bring uh, to us the things that we need to hear but we look to your spirit and your word Uh, God uh, to open our our hearts and our minds and our wills to receive that word God that you would do a work in us to draw us ever closer to you to trust you to be submissive to love to delight to take joy in who you are so please oh God we pray for you to do a great work this day Uh, not only for the good of your church But Lord, for the glory of your name and for your gospel to go forth, we thank you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, if you don't have your Bibles uh, opened yet, turn to James chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 2 through 4. And as you're turning there, let me just ask you, have you... Ever experienced going through some trials in your life where you almost didn't want to tell anybody else about it? You didn't want to tell them that you were going through difficult times? And and maybe even, particularly, you didn't want to tell Christians that you were going through a rough time because what the last thing you wanted to hear was another Romans 8.28 sermonette, you know, where, Well, you know, brother... God's going to work all things out together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So, you know, just hang in there. Or maybe you're afraid that they were going to take you even to our passage today in James chapter 1 and say, well, you know, be glad this happened because, you know, God intends to strengthen your character through it. You know, isn't that just what you want to hear when you're going through those rough times? Well, you know, it sort of reminds me of Job. And how he was surrounded by his friends. And, and Job referred to his friends in chapter 16 as miserable comforters. As miserable comforters. And they were, they were just like that. You know, sort of uh, talking to him. And isn't that a great description of such people who want to fix you when you're going through those difficult times? Now... Let me just back up a second lest you get the wrong idea. You know, of course God can and does use all of life's sorrows to bring believers to maturity. But it is misleading to use James 1 as the first word in grief counseling. You know, when Jesus uh, um, met Mary and Martha after they had lost their brother Lazarus, he didn't say, you know, well, God has a purpose in this. You know, even though he knew that God did have a purpose... And Lazarus dying. But first of all, Christ comforted them. He even wept. You know, John eleven, thirty five said, Jesus wept. And then, you know, and he was there with them. And even here in our epistle in James, James says, Count it all joy, my brothers. You know, it's a word of endearment that he has as he, as he talks with these believers. So, how exactly are we to understand James as we go through our trials and our lives, and especially as we walk with others through their trials as well? And what I want us to see as we look here this morning is, is that James wants us to see that in the face of life's difficulties, a living and a personal faith in Jesus Christ makes all the difference in the world. You know, true faith responds with joy, when it faces testing, it is a faith that overcomes the obstacles and gains victories through following the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a faith not only that shines when there's the, the luster of the sunshine of God's favor, but also a faith that radiates even against the darkest clouds and the trials that, that we go through. So let's look at this this morning and, and particularly you know ask what exactly does such a faith look like in our everyday life? Well, first of all, James tells us that it counts trials with all joy, Uh, counts trials as all joy. Or some of your translations may say pure joy or full joy. But the ESV says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, count it all joy here is a command. It's something that James is telling, he's commanding those that hear his message to count it all joy. And, and like I said earlier, so often you hear Christians sort of take this and they sort of put their own twist on it, you know, and they, they quote this verse to others who are suffering sort of in the tone of, well, you know, just keep a stiff upper lip, count it all joy. You know, or as the old pioneers used to say, you know, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. You know, count it all joy, brothers. And that's oftentimes the sort of the, the twist that even we as Christians will oftentimes put on these verses. But is that what James meant by this phrase? You know, and I think we need to, to look to see what exactly he meant. But before we get to this phrase of count it all joy, I think it's probably good to talk about what we mean by trials. Now, you may say, Pastor Rick, oh, I know trials. You don't need to tell me about that. Well, that's, that's probably true, but let's just look at it anyway. When, as you look at the word that's used here for trials, the word means any kind of distresses that happen to us from without or within. So it's not just our external circumstances, but it's even the things that we wrestle with within, which in God's purpose serve as trials to us. So these trials include everything considered as test of our character and tests that challenges our faith. You know, so, just like when Jesus he was in the wilderness in Matthew four, we see that he was tested as Satan came to him and and uh, brought these temptations, so believers are tested as well and and the same word that's translated trials in verse two, if you look down at verse thirteen, we didn't read that this morning, but just the verse beyond where we stopped uh, it says, "Let no one say when he is tempted that 's the same word that's that's used as a matter of fact, in Matthew six. 13, it says in the Lord's Prayer, "...and lead us not into temptation." That's the same word that he's using here. So while James is speaking of the hardships that come in life, it may be that he's speaking about more than just that... That while he's referring to those things that test our faith, it may be more than just the difficulties, but it may be the temptations as well. And there's some that even want to go so far, and I don't know about this, but even as you look at verses 9 and 10, it talks about how the lowly brother boasts in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation about how even those times of prosperity can be times of uh, uh, trials for us that can test our faith as well, but James wants the church to live out its faith in the crucible of life and all of its test, and this includes the test of hardships, whether that be accidents, you know, that that occur, or sickness, or poverty, or anxiety, or you know, the list goes on and on. Or whether it includes those internal trials as well. You know, whether that be the temptations, you know, where we struggle with pride and greed and lust. Or it might even be a temptation that comes to someone who's strong in their biblical knowledge and understanding, but who's complacent in terms of living out that faith you know it could look like a lot of different things but james has more in mind i think than just the truism that we grow strong through adversity he wants us to see the world a certain way he he wants us to understand that the goal of this life is not to find the maximum pleasure and pain free living is is oftentimes promoted around us, and I think even we oftentimes think of life that way is you know that we want to be successful, we want to be you know get the most amount of pleasure out of it. Our goal as Christians is to mature and endure in our faith, and as James see it, God fashions maturity and endurance. By means of the trials that he brings into our lives. And so he says to us, Count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, uh, that word meet in the original Greek, this is the way it reads Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you fall into trials. Okay, the, that Greek word carries with it the idea of suddenly finding yourself surrounded by unanticipated difficulties you know it's not like we go out looking for these difficulties they come and they find us and such troubles come sort of upon us unawares uh, you might say as some might put it and and what happens is oftentimes when we are surprised by circumstances you know, we often become upset by them. We're taken off guard by the the trials and the difficulties that come into our lives. But James says that when you're suddenly attacked, you must look at those circumstances with great joy, though it might seem like it just happened to us by chance, although I'm sure as uh, Reformed Presbyterians we wouldn't say that. You know, uh, we sort of feel like it just sort of happens to us by chance. It is under God's sovereign Rule, And so we can respond a certain way. I also think it's important for us to understand that these uh, circumstances sort of happen to us for several other reasons as well. Uh, Christians should not feel that they are failing their Savior simply because they have not led a hard life. Or they have not experienced persecutions. I don't know if you've ever run into Christians like this. But sometimes they act like they're not very spiritual. Because it's like, well, I haven't suffered much. And it's almost like they're wanting that to come into their life. And they're pursuing that, you know, to sort of prove their spirituality. Well, the reality is is that God will bring the testing of our faith at the times when we need it. And he's going to bring it uh, in such a way that we need it as well. And likewise, Christians should not think that... The more circumstances hurt, the more good it is, it's doing them. You know, we're, we're not called to be castor oil Christians. You know, we're, we're not to be like, oh, be you know, sourpusses, I guess you could say. Our lives ought to be filled with joy, obviously. So we must be careful not to pursue hardships, thinking that that somehow proves to us that we're more spiritual than others. The Lord's going to bring those trials into our lives at, at the right time. But as we think about those trials, you know, James says, count it all joy. Now, you, you can turn to Acts 5 if you want to. Acts 5, verse uh, 38. But the apostles have been out preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Sanhedrin then has them arrested because they're preaching about Christ and brings them before them and they're they're talking uh, to them and everything and Uh, You know, they don't obviously like that they're preaching about this Jesus who's been crucified. But Gamaliel stands up and he says, listen, he said, there have been other people who other leaders who have been raised up and they've preached some kind of rebellion and stuff. But as soon as they were killed, their followers scattered and the whole thing just came to nothing. He said, this Jesus has been put to death. If this is of man, it's just going to disappear. But... If this is of God, you will find yourself opposing God. So I am telling you, leave these men alone. And so the Sanhedrin took to heart the things that he said. But So they came to the apostles and it says that they beat them and then told them to go and not preach the gospel anymore. Well, if you look at Acts 5, verse 41, it says, then they left the presence of the council, what? Rejected. Rejoicing, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, for the name of Jesus Christ. And that's a picture of the kind of joy that that we are to have. And and the scripture talks about this idea of, of having joy in the midst of persecution. And I'll just give you a few passages. We won't take the time to turn there, but you can write them down and look at them later today. But Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Romans 5, 1 through 5. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7. And then even the Sermon on the Mount that we've studied in the past, Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12. Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12, where Jesus said, Rejoice when you are being persecuted. There's that sense of joy. Now, how does that come about? You know, it's, it's not always so easy in the midst of our trials and difficulties to have that sense of rejoicing and, and just saying, Lord, thank you that I was counter worthy to suffer for your namesake. Well, suppose that you think of your life uh, experience as a ledger in which you're sort of keeping accounts and you take all the experiences of your life and you put them on this ledger, either on the credit side or on the debit side. And I think for most of us. Uh, if we think about our our, um, our tribulations, we think of those as negative entries. Those go on the debit side of life, you know because of course, our trials always come in on the the debit side because we always have a tendency to say things like this whenever we go through trials. Well, why is this happening to me? You know what did I do wrong when was this When will this ever end? and you know other things you might say as well and we'll, we'll naturally be tempted I think oftentimes when we go through these difficulties to sometimes be angry at least frustrated and or, or even depressed when we encounter the trials that we go through in life and sometimes and I know this is a more extreme case but sometimes people even take their lives because they feel their situation to be hopeless and without purpose in the midst of the difficulties that they face. But for Christians, what James says is, your faith makes things different. He says, he's saying that as an act of faith, we must put these trials in the credit side of the column. That we must put it in the credit column of our ledger. That we must see that as a, as a positive thing. Now, let me just give some word of caution as I say that, Okay. I'm not saying that whenever you go through trials that you just say, well, praise the Lord anyway, and attempt to put those trials in your past, or as some people want to say, you know, just smile the pain away. You know, just be positive about it. Just put a positive twist. It's okay. You know, that's not what I'm saying when I say think about those trials as being on the the credit side. You know, Jesus Christ himself uh, suffered you know, and he turned his suffering into our salvation and his triumphal ascension to glory, but he agonized every inch of the way and I think we need to recognize that the pain that Jesus felt was very real you know he he never denied the reality of his suffering he didn 't try to you know put a positive spin on it, you know, or the power of positive thinking it wasn't that wasn 't the mentality Jesus suffered it was hard, and likewise we will grapple with life's hard realities as well as we suffer. So there's nothing wrong with when we are struggling in our trials to, to acknowledge that. I mean, look at Job, for example. I mean, he, he talks about how difficult these things are that are coming into his life. He even said, Lord, I wish I were never born. I just wish I could die. I mean he acknowledges that that kind of suffering it's it's painful to encounter, and so it's not sinful to admit the trials of our lives that that they're hard and they're they're agonizing but i I also want us to understand this that, as others around us go through suffering, that we' be very careful um to not try to fix them, that we don't try to make light of their suffering. As well, you know, I think it's really, we need to understand it's good for us to feel their pain and to empathize with them as they're going through these difficulties. Like I said, with James, he says, count it all joy, my brothers. You know, he loves them and he's commanding them to do something that he knows is good for them. But he understands the pain and the trials and the difficulties that they are going to. So we can be honest as Christians in our struggle, okay? But we're still commanded nonetheless to count it all joy. And the best way I can think to describe that is to use an illustration of an athlete, okay? An athlete that is preparing for some event understands the value of training. I don't care how painful that that training might be. And and his coach may put him through the paces and, and make him do things that causes him excruciating pain. And the athlete does it. Why? Because he trusts his coach that the things that his coach is forcing him to do and to experience is for his ultimate good. He understands that. And the athlete doesn't deny the difficulty or the excruciating pain that he is enduring, but also he understands and he considers that training as being a positive side, of being the credit side of that ledger. And it's like that with Christians as well. You know, as we view our trials, that they are difficult, and we may even be desirous to be free of our difficulties that we're encountering, but we also understand that they are from the hands of a loving, sovereign God, much like the coach for the athlete. And so we consider the process of encountering these trials as pure joy because we know. That they are for good, even though they may be painful for a time. It sort of reminds you of Hebrews 12, you know, where he, uh, where the author talks about how, you know, God's discipline is painful, but for a time. And just as it takes an act of the will for an athlete to turn his pain into that happy achievement, so it takes an act of will through the faith in Christ to bring joy out of the pain in the Christian life. As well, And so as we see those things come into our life, we understand what God is doing and we rejoice in that. It's in times of trials and sufferings that we turn to Jesus for comfort because we're sort of brought to the end of ourselves. You know, God, doesn't he? He just seems to have just the right trials for our lives that bring us to the end of ourselves. And it's often our prayer to ask Jesus to remove these trials. And sometimes he does, but many times he doesn't. Because as Hebrews 11.1 reminds us that faith by definition is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. So we're certain of those things we don't see. So the essence of our faith is that it rests on the acceptance of the truth of God's word. In other words, you know, I know God has said this in his word and these circumstances are coming into my life. And as I look at these circumstances... They don't seem to be matching up with what God's word says. It doesn't. It doesn't seem like you know the test that is coming my way. It, it appears to be contradictory to these positive promises of God's word. But by faith, what we say is, even though that's what it appears to look like, I will trust what God has said to me in His word, and I will stand firm in that, and I will endure these uh, trials and these temptations. And not only will I endure it, but I will rejoice that God is bringing those trials into my life for a purpose and for a reason. And so we can stand firm in the midst of those things because a living faith is faith in Christ. It's not just a faith in these words on a page, but it's faith in a person. It's a faith that Christ knows what's best and he has revealed that in his word. Faith in Christ is faith that acts in obedience to him. And such faith perseveres even when the props of earthly prosperity and well-being have been kicked away and the blessings of God seem far away. And so it is in those times that he calls us to rejoice. Now, think about the... Alternative to counting it all joy. You know, the alternative to counting it all joy is to let Satan do his work through your trials. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but Satan wants to do a work through the trials that come into your life as well. And this usually happens when we sort of get like burdened down under our trials. You know, we're sort of lying down under the difficulties that we have. And as we do, we begin to dwell on what might have been. Oh, Lord, why is this happening to me? You know, this could have been my life, but instead this is what I have. And out of that sense of sort of dwelling on what might have been sort of comes a complaining spirit. And I don't know if you've encountered this. I wish I could stand up before you and say this is never. these words have never come out of my mouth when I've been through times of trial. But unfortunately, I have to confess, probably like the rest of us, that there are times when those pressures of those trials come upon us and we've not looked to the Lord. I've not looked to the Lord with joy and, and thanked Him that He is at work sovereignly in my life to accomplish his purpose, but instead I've turned my eyes upon the trial itself, and it's been overwhelming, and it's, and it's challenged me, and it's caused me to complain, uh, feeding our frustration with a festering resentment sometimes towards other people. Sometimes God uses people in our lives to bring about those trials, and so we can sort of uh, have resentment towards them, or even against God himself. And then we oftentimes slide into bitterness and then we're crushed by defeat and hopelessness. And then that is the work that Satan wants to do in our lives. But God calls us to the very opposite. However victimized we may be by our adverse circumstances, God calls us to choose the life, the way of life that he has called us to do. We need to ask ourselves, do we take responsibility and endure or doubt and blame God for our difficulties. Our response to trials reveals our heart's conditions, brothers and sisters. That's one of the purposes of trials is that they really expose the condition of our heart and where we really are. We can talk about our theology and the things that we say we believe and all those things, but there is nothing that shows us the true condition of our heart like going through trials. And James tells his readers that the heart of faith is joyful in the midst of trials because their faith is firmly fixed on Jesus Christ alone. Now, what is it that these trials are, you know, why does he bring these trials into our life? You know, God's not a sadistic God. It's not that he enjoys suffering. He has a purpose in doing this. And if we look at verses 3 and 4, we see what that is. He says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That, that also could be translated perseverance. Some of your translations may say that. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So there's really two substantial reasons why we may count trials as an occasion of joy in the Lord. First of all, because the testing of our faith develops steadfastness. And second of all, because it produces maturity or completeness. Now, this idea behind of uh, testing is the process of sort of like refining silver and gold. That's how it's used oftentimes in the Old Testament. So the difficulties of life are intended by God to refine our faith, heating in the crucible of the suffering so the impurities might be refined away. If you've ever seen anybody uh, take any kind of metal and try to get the impurities off, they'll heat it up and the impurities will rise to the top and they'll sort of scrape those impurities off. And one person referred to God, not in a disrespectful way, but he is like the master refiner. And he's sitting there and he's putting us in the fire as one who cares for us very much. And very skillfully and very carefully, he puts us in the fire just right, not to damage us or destroy us, but to get rid of the impurities and to strengthen the faith that he has given to us that we might walk with him and we might know him more intimately. And so we see that it produces in us that sense of steadfastness. Um, Now, it's interesting, the etymology, the word that's used here for steadfastness, or some of your translations, it may be perseverance, paints a picture, and this is going to maybe sound weird, but it paints a picture of successfully carrying a heavy load for an extended period of time. So it's the idea of carrying a heavy load for an extended period of time. Now, what's meant by that is this. In the same way that that, uh, a muscle that becomes strong when it faces resistance from a weight. You ever notice that if you take weights, guys, gals, I don't know, you lift weights, and as, as you have that weight, and you have that resistance of that weight on your muscles, what does it do? It makes those muscles stronger. That's why you lift weights. And so, in the same way, for the Christian, they, we develop spiritual strength and stamina through facing trials. They're like that weight. They're like that resistance. It's, it's successfully carrying a heavy load for an extended period of time to make us stronger and to build our stamina and our, our endurance. I remember my cousin, when I was little, and I was pretty young, um, He actually was much older than me. He's in high school. He played football and all that kind of stuff. And we would go running. He said, Hey, let's go run. Because he loved to run. He was fast. He had great stamina. And I could never keep up with him. And I remember one time I was like, I'm dying. I got to stop. I can't do this. And I'm like, How can you run like this? And he said, Well, Rick, you got to remember. He said, I've had a lot of training. He said, I've been in football and we run and we run and we run. And when we don't have anything else to do, we run. And he said, because, he goes, we got to get fast. We got to exercise those muscles. And I thought, oh, wow, that makes sense. And it's a lot like that in the Christian life, that those trials are, are it's like that running. It, is, it builds up that stamina. So when trials comes, James says, consider joy and recognize that God is developing in you perseverance and other good, good traits. It's also important to observe that the development of steadfastness is a process. It's not an event. You know, my cousin didn't show up for football practice, and they said, we're going to run between 2 and 4 today. And they ran between 2 and 4 that day. And then they said, okay, we're done. You're good. Now we can play football for the rest of the season. No. They ran this day, and they ran the next day, and they ran this week, and they ran the next week, and they ran this month, and they ran the next month. And they did it as a process over and over and over and over. And it's the same way in that sense of steadfastness that God produces in us. That it's as we are in those trials, as we, are in, you know, as we are enduring that, then that's when character is developed. It's not an event that all of a sudden brings about character. It is a real life process of encountering trials and responding to them in faith that produces steadfastness. Let me just say that again that it is the real-life process of encountering trials and responding to them in faith. We can encounter trials over and over and over and over again, and we can become complainers about our trials. We can you know, sort of give in to Satan's temptations about our trials, and it's not going to produce steadfastness in our hearts. It's only as we respond by faith and we count it all joy that, that it's going to produce that steadfastness. But James doesn't stop there. He said the steadfastness isn't the goal. He goes, actually, it produces something even more than that. As that steadfastness continues, it also, he says, uh, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, notice in verse 4, remember I told you like every other verse in James is, has a command. Well, there's a command there in verse 4. And let steadfastness... Have its full effect. In other words, to stop being patiently preserving has the practical effect of denying the faith. You know, we must continue in in that process. He's commanding us, continue in that process. You must continue in that process. And as we do so, we find that it, it makes us perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, I think we probably all understand what it means to begin a project with great zeal. Uh, and later, um, as we sort of, the initial enthusiasm wears off, we sort of uh, become weary of that project. Kids, are you like that? You, you say to your parents, hey, I want to I wanna do something. I want to um, paint this wall. Can I paint this wall? And your parents are like, sure. And so they have you start painting the wall. And you know what? It was fun at first, but then they were like, no, 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 don't do it that way. You got to do it this way. And they start telling you how to do it. And you're thinking, okay, this is now no longer fun. I don't want to do this. I want to stop. And you sort of began to grumble and complain. You know, that can be sort of how we are, but the work of the Holy Spirit like that in the life of the believer does not look like that. What God starts, He achieves. You know, it's a, a fact of divine revelation. But the good work begun by God and every Christian will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ, as we read in Philippians 1.6. So our exercise of faith must not be interrupted. As we continue to live by faith and face these trials, it says that we become perfect and complete. Basically, that's terms that sort of together describe a well-rounded believer who is mature beyond normal Christian growth. And then he goes on and he adds to that that they lack... In nothing. That means that they are complete. They are whole. And so the the whole idea in this sort of stacking these terms is to show that the Christian that becomes spiritually mature or complete in Christ. And so, uh, and and that's just the way it must be. That there are some. Parts of our Christian spiritual maturity That can only come through the fires That only can be acquired Through difficult times in our life For example, submitting to God's will It's really hard to submit to God's will Unless you've gone through trials Because there's things that we want to do And until God tests our faith to say You know, are you going to do what I want to do As opposed to what you want to do Well, the only way to determine If you truly believe that. Is if God tests that, and likewise, even sympathy uh, and empathy for the suffering of others, uh, oftentimes must be tested as we go through the trials. And so, you know, as we look at James, I, I want us to understand that God does these things, um, but He does these things not only for our good, but there's a sense in which He does it in a particular order. You know, it's no accident that the sequence is, first of all, trials, and then pure joy, and then steadfastness or perseverance, and then maturity or completeness. That's sort of the order. Trial, joy, steadfastness, and then maturity. Now, we might think it more appropriate to put the joy at the end, right? Right. Uh, that, that the joy should come when the pain is all gone and everything's done, then we can be joyful because guess what? We've reached our goal. But it's interesting that God's point though is that the joy in Christ is the powerhouse of perseverance. And what I mean by that is if, if we encounter those trials in our life and there is no joy and we don't recognize what God is doing that we will never have the stamina for steadfastness or never have the stamina for perseverance. We will give up. We will be discouraged. We will become disgruntled. We will become angry. You know, maybe even some, like I said earlier, who take their lives because they just cannot persevere in the midst of those difficulties. But as we draw close to Christ, brothers and sisters, as those trials come and we draw close to Christ and we, and we acknowledge the pain that is there, but we also acknowledge that it comes from our Savior who loves us and who suffered very much as well, You know, then we can have joy that will allow us to continue on in that trial and that difficulty. And as that trial and that process continues, there will be a sense of steadfastness. And as that continues over time, it brings that sense of completeness and joy. You see, our steadfastness in the face of trials partakes of that joy precisely because it is God's gracious purpose to work in us, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, to work in us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Amen? Isn't that a good word? Isn't that a good word from the Lord? That He would work in us an eternal weight of glory, beyond all comparison. Oh, may His name be praised. Let's bow our heads for a time of silence and meditation on the Word of God this morning. Our gracious and compassionate Savior, we thank You for the Word that You brought to us this morning from James. Uh, Jesus, as we prepare to leave this place and we go out into our lives and as we encounter our trials and and we oftentimes know as Christians, you know, when you bring teaching like this into our lives, you're going to give us an opportunity to apply that. So it might even be, Lord, even before we clear the parking lot, that there's going to be something that happens in our cars that are going to be a trial for us. And we're going to have almost an instantaneous opportunity to put into practice the things that were spoken this morning. And we just pray for the strength of your Holy Spirit, Lord, to work in our lives. God, to allow us to walk by faith. Uh, Lord, to rejoice in the trials that you bring our way. And may we gather even the next Lord's Day uh, to share uh, the way that you have walked with us this week. And even through those things that were difficult, may we rejoice even with other believers to give thanks, God, that we do not walk alone, that you were there ever with us. So give us strength, O Lord. And we pray that we might be a witness to those around us. Uh, even in our difficulties, and Lord, when we fail—and I know we will at times—we will become angry in our trials, or you know. And uh, I just pray that we would, that you would um, remind us of your wonderful grace, to know that you're not calling us to perfection, but Lord, you are working this out in our lives. That you are making this happen, and so when we fail. We have not been abandoned as your children. You still love us. And I pray that we may turn to you, O God, and trust you and continue to be joyful. We thank you, Lord, for this and pray this in your name. Amen. Let's.